Kia ora, g'day and welcome to the history of Aotearoa, New Zealand. Episode 98, Tafaki the Bold. This podcast is supported by our amazing patrons. If you want to support Hans, go to patreon.com slash history Aotearoa. On a flat reef of rocks which thrust itself through the swell of the waves and the surging bull kelp, Tafaki and his four brothers-in-law were fishing. As they pulled in the flax lines with the bone hooks, the heaps of fish behind them grew into piles of shining silver. But when the sun began to sink, Tafaki's pile was as great as those of the four brothers put together. Tafaki laughed as he gathered them into his basket and began to taunt his brothers. They had no reply to make, but in their minds they were yet more firmly resolved to carry out the plan that they had decided upon when they invited him to come with them. You see, the real trouble was jealousy. Tafaki was the most skilled of all their tribe in the arts of peace and war, in running and swimming, in fighting and lovemaking. As he shouldered his basket, he began to sing, for he could not read his brother's minds. Two of the brothers reached the village as the sun dipped below the sea. Their sister met them as they dropped their loaded baskets. Where is my husband? she asked. We left him with our brothers, they said quickly, like people who have been expecting a question and have an answer in their minds at all times. Their sister looked at them closely and frowned. She felt that there was something strange in the way they spoke. They had hardly been civil to her husband for weeks on end, but that morning they had come early to her whare and with smooth words had persuaded Tafaki to go fishing with them. She looked at their baskets, stuffed to overflowing with fish. Everyone knew her brothers were poor fishermen. She hurried down to the beach where she met her other brothers. Where is my husband? Her voice was sharp, and the laughter of the brothers sounded false even in their own ears as they said, Why do you ask? He went home with our brothers. We're not his guardians. She did not reply, but broke into a run, following the mark of the footsteps in the sand. It was getting dark, but the footprints still showed faintly, just above the white line of the waves. Fear was in her heart as she ran. The shadow of the rocky headland lay dark upon the sand, and in it was a darker shape. She fell on her knees beside it. It was Tavaki. She put her face close to his and felt the gentle stirring of his breath. So faint, it was almost lost in the hissing of the little waves as they lapped upon his outstretched arm. She raised his head, and he stirred and opened his eyes. A smile curved on his lips. Your brothers, he said faintly, they lack skill in battle as well as in sport. They thought they had killed me. His head fell back again, and the gods gave strength to the wife of Tafaki. She lifted her husband in her arms and slid the dead weight of his body round onto her back. He weighed heavy on her, but she bent back until his feet were lifted clear of the sand. In this fashion, planting one foot heavily after another, 
she returned along the faint tracks her flying feet had made in the sand. Tafiki did not open his eyes until the morning. Is there a tall tree near the fuddy? he asked abruptly. Bring it here and put it on the fire. Confused, his wife dragged a great log out of the bush. Don't cut it up, Tafaki said. Put it on the fire just as it is. While the flames licked the bark, he stretched out his hands to the blaze. As the fire eats the wood, so shall my children eat the children of your brothers, he said, his eyes reflecting the fierce glare of the fire. When our son is born, he shall be named Wahiroa, to remind him of the will of his father. Long log of wood for the fire shall be his name. Months went by, and a son was born to Tafaki. His name was Wahiroa. Tafaki called his own relatives and warriors together. Faithless are the people of this village, he said. We shall take our families with us and build a pa of our own. Let us go to the summit where the last gleams of sunlight linger. Let us go now while the faithless ones skulk in their fares. None shall dare to hinder us in our going, and we shall have no pity on them. On the top of the mountain, they built their pa. Its treble line of palisades could be seen against the morning sky, with the sentries standing on their towers. At night, the cries of the watchers floated across the bush-clad valleys, even as far as the village by the sea, where the brothers took their careless ease. They were happier now that Tafaki was gone, and even the sharp silhouette of the palisades that hung in the sky failed to disturb their quietness of mind. But Tafaki had not forgotten. The sight of little Wahiroa lying in his mother's arms reminded him of his promise. Revenge must not be left to my son, he reflected. The injury is mine, and vengeance is mine. He climbed up to the highest part of the mountain, where the clouds seemed to float at arm's length. He lifted his arms and called on the gods, his ancestors, to release the floods of heaven. The wind died down, and a stillness lay over the land. Then the waters of heaven emptied themselves. The little streams became roaring torrents, but the noise of the hurrying water was drowned by the drumming of the rain. Out at sea, the calm water had been turned into a mass of white spume, and as the hungry rivers hurled themselves into the sea, the little waves, faster than any tide, crept up the sand to the village, where the murderers were crouching in the shelter of their fares. They watched the water creeping over the high ridge of the grass-bound sand, It swirled across the marae and gurgled round their feet. It heaped itself in a long, slow curve, and before they could leave their doorways, it rose silently to the tekoteko on the roof tree and shut out the sound of their cries. The last raindrops fell from the clouds, and the sun shone again on a crazy world of intermingled forest and tossing sea. Looking through the steam that rose from every sodden tree and hill, 
Tafiki could see the water slowly ebbing away from the village at the foot of the mountain. The Tekotekos thrust their grinning heads above the waves, but the thatch of the Fanes had been carried away by the silent water, and with it, the bodies of the brothers of his wife. Only the gaunt framework of the Fanes showed where the faithless ones had lived. Sometime after the Great Flood, Tafiki thought of his parents who had been stolen many years before by the Ponaturi, the strange people who sleep on the land at night but who fear the sun and go down below the sea before daylight comes. He felt that he must leave home and seek them. Taking his brother Karahi with him, he left the hilltop home and began his search. No one knew where the Ponaturi live, but Tafaki said to his brother, their sleeping place must lie somewhere near the shore, for they will not dare to go far from the sea. We must seek them along the coast. They travelled a long way and slept many times. One day they crossed a ridge which gave them a view of the curving beach ahead. A huge whare stood by itself not far from the shore. There were no other buildings to be seen except this solitary whare, the ridgepole of which towered far above the forest trees at its side. The home of the Ponaturi, Tafaki exclaimed. I know it, for there are thousands of the sea creatures, and until now no house we have seen would be big enough to hold them all. The two brothers walked boldly across the grass that bordered the sand, for it was midday and the Ponaturi were hidden in the dark valleys of the ocean below. Tafaki sang an ancient chant as they drew near. Then they stopped to listen. Somewhere near the top of the whare they heard the faint rattling of bones. Tafaki's hair bristled like a dog's. They are the bones of our father, he said to Karehi. They are rattling with gladness because we have come. Our father knows that vengeance is at hand. This is indeed the house of the Manawatane, Karehi replied. And look, there's our mother standing in the door. The old woman wept as she recognised her sons. She embraced them, and when her weeping had come to an end, she spoke. You must return at once, she said. Your father was killed by the sea people. My children must not be lost. We shall not return till we have avenged our father, Tafaki said firmly. We shall not return until we have avenged our father, Tafaki said firmly. We have heard the bones proclaim his joy. We are not to be turned aside from our resolve. You cannot stand against them, my sons, his mother said sadly. Go now, while there is still time. Karehi replied, We are determined. You shall hide us in the whare. That will not serve you well, my sons. They will see you, even in the dark. We shall make ourselves invisible, Karehi said. They will smell the man scent. That we shall see, Tafaki said abruptly. This is what you shall do, my mother. Tafaki explained his plan, and his mother bowed her head. She helped her sons to block up the holes in the walls of the whare and watched them climb into the thick thatch that covered the roof. 
They were hidden when night fell, and the first of the Ponaturi put his head through the door. Toto, he called. I can smell the man scent. That is nonsense, she replied. There is no one but old Tato here. The scout wasn't satisfied with this answer, but while he sniffed round the walls, the rest of the Ponaturi came crowding up the beach, shaking the water from them and pressing into the fuddy. They lay down on the floor, and the scout lay down with them, for the man scent had been lost in the crowd. The hours of the night passed slowly, while Tato sat in the darkness outside the door. Occasionally, an old man would stir and call out, Ho, Tato, Tato there, is the dawn coming? She would reply, No, no, it is deep night, it is lasting night. It is still night. Sleep soundly. Sleep on. Presently, the glowing fingers of the dawn began to spread over the eastern sky, and the stars had paled before them. Tafiki and Karihi stood beside their mother and listened. A voice called. Oh, Tato, surely the dawn has come. The old lady replied, No, no, it is night. It is lasting night. It is still night. Sleep soundly. Sleep on. Rangi's mantle of daylight spread from east to west, and the sun shone brightly on Manuatane. Several voices cried impatiently, Tato! Tato! The dawn must be near! Is it not light yet? At a sign from her sons, Tato shouted, Yes! It is light! She pulled the door away while Tafiki and Karihi leaped to the window and burst through the reed walls so that the sunlight flooded the house. The Ponaturi had risen to their feet, but the sunbeams smote them before they could stir from their places, and they melted away like mist. Not a single one of them remained. Only the Kanai, the grey mullet, escaped leaping and bounding through the broken walls and across the sand to the water, even as he does to this day when he climbs the waterfalls of the rivers. The brothers took their father's bones reverently from the roof tree and wrapped them up. They set fire to the tall house of the Ponaturi and led their mother away. As they crossed the ridge, they looked back and saw the last charred timbers settling down in the grey ashes. A thin column of smoke rising in the air was the only thing left to mark the grave of the myriad Ponaturi, the fishmen of Manawatane. Tafaki will return next time. If you want to send me feedback, ask a question, suggest a topic, or just have a chinwag, you can find my email and social media on historyaltiroa.com. You can also find helpful resources there like transcripts, sources and translations for some of the Te Reo Māori we have used. You can help support Hans through Patreon, buying merch or giving us a review. It means a lot and helps spread the story of Aotearoa New Zealand. As always, haere tu atu, tu mai. See you next time.